Hello guys and welcome to this episode of the podcast. On this episode I've got a mate of mine, Dill Lindsay. He's a cyclist with Team Subaru Giant on the national circuit in Australia. Um, he's a great guy. He's got a bachelor in sports science. Um, he's smart, he's knowledgeable, he's funny, he's great to be around um, and he's also a disability support worker. He's just an all-around cool dude. We have a fantastic chat. I hope you all enjoy this one. Stay sa- happy, safe and healthy. I love you all guys. You. Listeners, Snake Edwards on the recorder here. This one's a belter. Dilza, Dil Lindsay, welcome to the podcast, my man. How are you, mate? Yeah, not bad. Crazy times we're in at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, unprecedented times. Um, bit scary, bit unknown, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. See what happens, eh? That, yeah, that's <laughs> all you can do. It's yeah, always, exactly. It, and the perfect definition of it is just like you know the unknown, and it's a scary thing. We actually don't know what's going on with the coronavirus. Yeah, and it's uh, it's bizarre. Like it's sort of in a funny but weird way. Like my brother and I were watching a World War Z on the weekend, and it's just like. A little bit weird how many similarities there are to yeah. that sort of end of the world kind of um, stuff and unknown virus and yeah, it's just bizarre, I think, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah you're right. It's fun. This is the stuff people make movies about. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. And it's just, and there probably will be a movie about this one day and it's just like, yeah. Yeah. people are going crazy and yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I talked to a few of the boys about it and like the way I define it is that it's that this is something we're going to tell our grandkids and probably their great gang well their children about like yep. that we lived through like the plague and the spanish flu and that we're actually going through that and it's like well how can this be possible right now yeah I mean, yeah exactly it's uh, i think this i was thinking the exact same thing it's mm-hmm. like this is a, like we're living in a one of those massive like things that happens in history that mm-hmm. you know we talked about through school like all the world wars and that this will be talked about in schools like 20 years mm. from now and like that sort of thing and yeah it's just so weird yeah. <laughs> i hope something i think something good might come from it yeah absolutely i like and you know that might sound a bit skeptical for some but i think and the joys of this podcast seeing other people's perspectives in, in going through this firsthand yeah. like a few days ago i was like Half taking the piss, and I'll be honest, I was in complete denial. But until a couple of days, some things changed myself, and it's like, what, like, what's going on? And you feel like all your freedom's kind of gone. And I think the good that could come with this is that people might actually be becoming more grateful. It's yeah. probably happened with me. You know, I'm grateful that I'm healthy and that I've got a roof over my head and that I'm not doing this as, you know, a probably new unemployed single mother or father or something like that who's got to look after some kids or have got accountabilities. And, yeah. You know, that's definitely given my perspective. I don't know if you've had the same thing as well. But. Yeah, I mean, you just got to walk into a, a supermarket at the moment and all the things that you take for granted, like toilet paper <sighs> or any sort of like non-perishable foods that you just wouldn't even think about like grabbing off the shelf normally that aren't there at the moment. It's sort of, yeah, yeah. how we take that for granted all the time. And yeah. like you, once that comes into stock, you're so grateful that it's back yeah. and, um, that you can just eat your normal food and that, like yeah. even just little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the thing that breaks my heart is all the elderly and yeah, well, older people as well. Yeah, well, I think we're seeing like the best and worst of humanity at the moment. Like we're seeing mm. people just, you know, fighting each other for those sort of oh. necessities. But then we're seeing some pretty cool things 
with uh, supermarkets opening up mm. just hours for the elderly and disabled and that sort of thing, yeah. um, first off, I think that's like a really cool um, thing to have done like, pretty mm. quickly and promptly as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And like, yeah, you're complete, completely right. And you work, and just for the listeners, Dill works. And he's not only an unreal <laughs> high-level cyclist, but also works with disabled people. So you'd see the people who are vulnerable, like firsthand how it's probably affected them and their families. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty scary. Probably haven't, like nothing major has happened down our way as of yet. So yeah. the coronavirus hasn't hit us. But we haven't think, had a case yet, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's just the thought of what could happen that's really mm. confronting. Um, I think we've got a pretty good plan and we sort of, like obviously there's so much unknown, but um, yeah, we're... Like got the plan ahead, and um, yeah, hopefully mm. things don't go the way that we're that it could, I suppose, because yeah. it is a scary thought, and we're very high risk clients and that sort of thing. So mm. fingers crossed, mate. Yeah. yeah, and you're hands on in your role because as a disability support worker as well. So on the side from being again an elite cyclist, yeah. yeah so obviously this has affected you in some way. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's still. Yeah. I think. It's pretty stressful, I suppose. Um, like it still hasn't hit us yet. Um, I don't even think it's hit the southwest yet. Yeah. Um, but it won't take long, and it'll just be you know click of the fingers, and it'll be here. Um, yeah, we're all very well, we're as prepared as possible. I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Then that, yeah, it's definitely life changing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. As I was saying, like I'm the same as you though. Like at the start of the week, I was you know, taking the piss out of it and, yeah. um, you know, someone would turn it on the news and I'd be like, why are we watching this rubbish? Like, it's just mm. been like, everyone's overreacting. And then, you know, a couple of days later, I'm like, oh, this is, this is real. And, um, like it's time to take this seriously and yeah. just doing the little things right. Like mm. sanitize, hand sanitizers and mm. that sort of thing. And, yeah. Isn't it funny how those little things all of a sudden, the things that they're telling us to do are actually the things we should be doing every <laughs> single day. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm probably like, yeah, I work at a hospital, I do it, you know, just walk past me, I'm even thinking, but yeah. people probably don't do it no, at all during no. the day. They probably, people probably go take a slash, take a piss, and yeah. then they just go and shake someone's hands after it and don't even realize or yeah. something like that. Yeah, exactly. And it makes you think about like shaking someone's hand as well. It's mm. like, oh, or just anything like that. Or um, I, like in my job, I also have to do a bit of gardening work and stuff. And I was like grabbing the steering wheel of the work car and I was like, oh, who's been in this car driving Jeez. this wheel and like who's been on the whipper snipper and mm. like everyone needs to wear their own gloves and not swap around and like it's just so much more thought put into these little things now. So, yeah. Talking in the mic a bit more. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Sorry. Um, but no, you're totally right and it gets you thinking about, you know, your health and fitness or in, yeah, generally health and well-being in a completely different way. Yeah. And yeah. You know, you're a pretty fit guy, obviously. Oh, um, cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it maybe people could start putting a value on their health and their fitness a bit more after this. Yeah, well, I think yeah, it's just scary, isn't it? And yeah. I think if you were in that high risk category, you'd be terrified oh. um, because of how extremely contagious it is, um, and how just touching a surface can give mm. you the disease so if you're in that high risk category yeah absolutely i would be i'd be worried yeah um yeah i suppose i'm probably lucky and i think you're lucky and a lot of people yeah. our age and that, that yeah you know probably the most of the demographic that is listening to this yeah. yeah like chances are we get it it's not going to affect us personally <clears> it's probably more the fact that we'll continue spreading it that's the concern um yeah so uh, i'm happy absolutely 
yeah. in a good position for that. Yeah. yeah. Did you say that um yeah, China's air pollution has actually dropped incredibly because their economy's pretty much just dropped right off. So therefore the yeah. air pollution's and they've saved, I think a Harvard professor did a study and said they could have saved up to fifty or fifty thousand or hundred thousand lives by just yeah, this yeah. kind of funny thing happening yeah, in this cycle. Like, there's almost like this weird reset that's gonna happen, I reckon. Yeah, like, a lot of people do say that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna happen. Like we're gonna sort of almost have to go back to basics for a while and it's going to be like this yeah reset um which could be like it's going to be a lot of bad come from this but there could be some good as well absolutely yeah Yeah, like what i was saying like and to be quite honest um yeah yesterday it just made me grateful for the things that i did have like you know i I had to put off a trip i wanted for a lifetime for another few more months but you know at least i've got that option you know at least i can go back to a job and make some money luckily and um not like you know like i was saying i I care for the mothers who you know if their job they're made redundant and they have to go home and care for a child what's going to happen there and yeah there's so many like i'm in the same boat as you i've Mm. had to cancel uh my overseas trip for the yeah. For the winter part of uh, the cycling season, and obviously all my like cycling events I've been training for are all cancelled or postponed. But like in the scheme of things, that's sort of it's nothing. Like it's yeah. important to me, but you know, there's so much worse going on in the world yeah. out of it that's sort of just like, um, yeah, it's not the end of the world, yeah. really, is it? Yeah, no, nah, yeah. yeah. well, not quite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, but no, you're you're totally right. I think. Well, I think and I hope that people become a bit more grateful for the things they do have and we don't have such a consumer-driven society. Yeah. Yep. Especially in the Western world, I yeah, think. Yeah, and it's know. like what's going to happen? I think if we go into full lockdown and get that isolation and stuff, like I think we'll take like how much more are we going to take for granted the, mm. that connection that we get with people and like being yeah. able to actually hang out with people, that social side of things that we're not oh. going to get if we lock down. You know, in yeah. this, maybe some people do need that. Like, especially yeah. younger... Like, this is going to be harsh. Like, maybe the younger yeah. generation do somewhat need this and appreciate how important it is. Like, we touched with Winners last episode, the importance of human connection and yeah. proper human connection and valuing, yeah. hugging. Well, I can't even hug a mate. Like, you know, I hug my <laughs> mate. I'm a pretty affectionate bloke and I hug my bros all the time and, and tell them I love them every day. And, yeah. like, you can't do that. Like, no. you know, just that pure emotion and connection is something that's probably got to be valued a lot more yeah, yeah exactly it's just like once it's taken away from you it's mm. uh yeah it becomes real doesn't it it yeah. becomes way more important so yeah um that's probably potentially what could happen yeah yeah it's, it's interesting times yeah, yeah very interesting yeah deal with that yeah you wear lycra <laughs> yeah, I wear a bit of light uh, on the odd occasion. Do you, you stop into the odd cafe with some pastries and a co- yeah. coffee? Yeah, a bit of coffee, a bit of muff. Like, yeah. It's that sort of <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez, you shave your leg? Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I've been shaving my legs for uh, so long that I don't actually think I've ever had like proper leg hair. Uh, like I've been shaving my legs like since year eight. So mm-hmm. I've never had like proper yeah. curly leg hair. <laughs> Congrats, mate. Yeah, you scored three out of three, you're a cycler. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, if you want to explain to the listeners, you're a pretty elite cyclist, mate. And um, just where about where you sit on the national, international scale? Because okay. you explained this to me a few times when we go for a ride. So. Yeah. Um, it's, sort of, it's, a, it's a tricky one to explain. Um, I suppose like the top tier, you, you know, you think you tour to France and um, the tour down under in Adelaide, like mm. that's, that's world tour. That's the cream of the crop. Um, and then below that, you've got sort of that, it's called continental. So it's 
they can race some of those world tour races um but there's also like a i suppose uci 1.1 races mm-hmm. um and then within Australia, there's the National Road Series, and that's where I come in. So I'm yeah. in the National Road Series. I ride for Subaru Giant, so they're a National Road Series registered squad. Um, and that's, I suppose, what you it's your top domestic uh, level racing within the country. Yeah. So I, I think I've said to you, it probably equates to VFL. Of, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's sort of, yeah, your VFL yeah. Level. which is yeah. still bloody elite like especially on a worldwide you know yep. australian rules is australian but worldwide you know cycling is dominating europe northern america and here yes yeah. and it's um it's it's getting quite uh competitive in yeah. that series you're getting uh like we had what we had chris harper and dylan sunderland uh mm. move up from the world tour into the world tour this year after competing in the national road series for the last few years we've uh, bridge lane and mm. realistically there's probably like 10 15 guys that could do the same thing uh, in the next few years so it's it's super competitive and it's it's quite a big challenge to compete yeah. with those kind of boys but it's pretty cool yeah what are your early memories of getting into cycling mate um, yeah who kind of was your biggest influence getting into it or in, in endurance sport or anything you know what was your kind of journey at the start yeah it's uh it was a i started cycling uh initially when i was seven so i was just rummaging through like a vcr all the tapes and stuff and um just playing them and just come across a video of my old man he he won the 1983 melbourne's warnable and there was a video Jeez, of it i didn't know that oh yeah. okay yeah. yeah so he he won yeah the 83 melbourne's warnable and um i think i was seven at the time and i was just like oh it was like honestly the coolest thing i'd ever seen i was like i really want to do that bike race one day um and like from then on, I sort of always had the idea that I would race that race and I'd race bikes. I didn't continue it from seven all the way until now, but I'd started at that age and I'm like sort of grateful that I didn't continue the whole way through. I took up a few other sports like mm. tennis with you and yeah. footy and that. Yeah. And why, then, why do you say you're grateful? If you mind me I think it's really good for young people to take up as much sport as they can if you sort of just get stuck in one thing i just i think it's way more beneficial to be you know from a social aspect and even from like a physical aspect just like getting amongst a whole range of activities meeting new people and like doing different things and just seeing what's out there as well i think that's crucial for the younger age interesting thing because you hear and especially from my background the footy heads who played footy all yeah yeah. footy all year all year round because essentially it is almost like that they go in the off season train footy all during the year footy and you know that's an interesting insight and you know and see where other i guess skills lie and where other perspectives lie with people in their sport and how because you know cycling and tennis individualistic yep and it's yep. very much on you, you know? yeah exactly and um I, yeah i think if i hadn't have done that i probably wouldn't be cycling now i think um from 8 till 13 like tennis was my big sport and mm-hmm. i think just i took it pretty seriously and it's like i um probably just burnt out with that in the ends and i think that probably would have been cycling if i had have continued doing that solely from seven yeah 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 so th- 13 uh, onwards you pretty much got serious about cycling yeah so i just i don't know what happened it was just one day i was just like oh, i just want to get back into that i want to buy a road bike and sort of like i'm just a bit done with tennis um <laughs> and like i just really had this overwhelming feeling it's like i want to get back mm-hmm. on the bike so 
got a bike from Sports Power, um, put it on lay-by. Do you remember what it was? It was a Diamondback DBR, like a candy <laughs> red. Um, <laughs> Shimano Sora 8-speed. It's an absolute <laughs> weapon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and just just yeah, took it up and was just going riding with the old man a couple of times a week and just mm-hmm. loved it, just mm-hmm. getting out and training and, yeah, it's just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then, so, yeah, 13, 14, 15, how were those years starting out on the bike? Obviously, maybe then you probably didn't take it as serious as we did now or didn't realise it could become that serious? Um, I always, like, I think I always enjoyed training. So, I was always, I'd always do rides pretty much every day still. Like, probably not as much as I, obviously not as much as I do now, but I'd always go out for a ride. Um, And, yeah, I think... I had seen what my old man had done and I sort of wanted to try and replicate that. So, I, there was a bit of a pathway that I knew I could take. Because mm. um, oh, like you saw your dad and what he went through? Yeah, I, yeah. I just knew that he had... So, I essentially, I knew that he had won the Melbourne Warnable and he'd spent half a year in Belgium prior to that. Um, so, pretty much I wanted to go overseas and race and I wanted to come back and race the Melbourne Warnable. Um, yeah, and I just trained and I think... Going into those district races, um, everyone knew that you were Andrew Lindsay's son. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The prodigy. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, they always sort of said that um, he was a bit of a late developer and that sort of thing. So, I sort of expected that to be me as well. Uh It sort of was. Um, But yeah, I sort of knew the path and yeah, was just loved it though. So, it wasn't much of an issue. Yeah. wasn't a very good cyclist to begin with, I suppose. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and um, when did it kind of get real? When did it kind of think, oh, well, I've got a bit of talent here um, that I could probably take this somewhere? Yeah, I don't know. I've sort of always battled through, I reckon. Um, I sort of, you know, was lucky enough that we got had it built, a, like the old man built an NRS team um, in eight years ago. So, I got a gig there. Um, and I'd just get thrashed like every round, like just would be out the back half an hour every stage and that sort of thing. But I was just sort of always knew that I could get there. Um, and I still think I'm I'm still in that process of getting there. So I definitely, like I don't think I've ever thought, oh, there's something here, like there's talent and like I can take this far. I think I'm sort of always just got to keep challenging and pushing mm. towards my goals, I think. Yeah, 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 and then meow, and then your experiences because you shared with me a few times that cycling has brought you. Um, because also you're a sports science, you go sports science degree. Yeah, was that through kind of as you went through cycling? Um, did like how was it balancing that degree and like working hard? Because one thing I noticed is with you. I think people underestimate how much sacrifice you do have to do in these kind yeah. of sports. Yeah. Like you get up at 4 a.m. and 4.30 a.m. to go for a ride then go to work. And yeah. I could only imagine that studying and getting your degree and being quite good at it is probably just as hard and get that sacrifice. Yeah, it was challenging. Um, I suppose in particular that final year when um, I was fortunate enough to get a major placement at Adaptive um, Human Performance, which is like yep. a big cycling I suppose they do a lot of physiological testing, aerodynamic testing, mm. um, bike fitting. The only issue with that was that it was in Melbourne. So I was training a lot 
on my, on the bike and doing a bit of work at uh, at a Woolworths there, um, and then traveling back into like to Melbourne um, and studying in Ballarat. So, so you yeah. would train. Yeah, go so, to Melbourne for placement and then continue study. Yeah, so it's sort of it was it was full on. Like I was always doing something. So like you know a typical Tuesday would look like a training session in the morning, head off to uni, go from uni to work and do the night shift, and then finish the night shift at ten, <laughs> drive to Melbourne, get there at midnight, stay at my brother's house, wake up at five a.m., do an ergo session before <sighs> driving to Adaptive um, HP to do my placement there for the day. Um, How long was that for that for, Dil? Uh, that was for the year. So I'd do Fuck. that a couple of times a week for the year. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was such a busy year. But um, Did you run into anything like um, health or injury-wise or um, that year? I, was, I think I was sort of well prepared for it because um, I suppose I, I was sort of lucky that um, one of my, my previous coach, Julian Canapel, who was sort of coaching me in those formative years into that year, you sort of always drilled home that you've got to be a pro at time management. So I was always had my time schedule set and I was like, I've, I was pretty dialed that year because I sort of had to be. And um, yeah, I was very lucky to have that mm. in place. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And when you look back at that time, I guess it's a whole lot of sacrifice and a lot of things that you probably missed out on that you probably would have wanted to do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I used or to you always, wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, well, it's sort of like I used to always say um, that I used to make heaps of sacrifices. Um, and I, I remember saying that to Julian one day and he's like, oh, what sacrifices do you make? And I just sort of sat there for a second. I was like, I, I actually don't know because anything that I want to do is sort of not as much as what I want to do cycling. So... Like nah. doing that other stuff would be sacrificing my cycling. So it's sacrificing what I want to do. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah. you know, I come from the perspective is that you would have missed it because we went to uni together and it's like, yeah. you might have missed out on those uni nights and all that kind of jazz, but that's me. That's my comparison yeah. to so, what you've missed out on. But really, maybe I'm the one missing out on reaching my full potential athletically oh, in what like, I want to do. Yeah. yeah, it's like in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I wish I had have experienced a few of those uni nights, but I don't regret it because I know that when I was there then and there i was fully committed to what i was doing and like that was just so far off my radar that it just didn't really it wasn't something i wanted to do at the time but looking back i was like i'd be cool to experience what that side of it was like but yeah Mm. it's like now that's uh i'd love to go out drinking on the weekend (laughs) hit up the dog show next to us (laughs) um yeah 101 sticky floor yeah yeah, have a look at the sticky floor but we all know that once we get in there it's just average anyway they they only make it sticky so they can keep you in there yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so no i just much prefer to be um going for what like going to those goals that i've got and Mm. um yeah that's me yeah did you learn quite a lot in yourself and your performance while on placement because that would have been twofold i think like yeah. going through the placement thing oh shit i could probably incorporate this yeah absolutely yeah. um learn like because i also like coach a few cyclists as well so i think um the th- really good thing about that placement and also i suppose as well extending on that coaching a few athletes at the time was that i was stuck i got all this information from my uni degree and i was like learning it and but it was really the application, the, the opportunity at Adaptive and the opportunity to, at, when I was coaching athletes to apply that really like 
was helped me, I suppose, memorize it or mm-hmm. like really put it, stuff into practice straight away, which was massive help for me. Yeah. 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 Do you miss probably work like because it's you probably haven't worked in the field for a while do you miss it do you work going back to sports science or exercise physiology or something yeah i sort of i get a bit of it like with my co i currently coaching seven cyclists um so i do get a bit of um of an outlet i suppose um but yeah like if i could make that a full-time like work that would be yeah that's the coaching yeah it's fantastic it's um so rewarding um and it's in, like it's that's like the sports science and the cycling and that that's that's where my passion lies. So that's um, maybe something down the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah in the future for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cycling, you know, it's known to be one of the most grueling sports in the world. Have you ever, I guess, thought about just even in a training session, just thought about fuck, is this worth it? Is this really worth it? Especially <laughs> yeah. during those times. Yeah, mate. Like those Ballarat winters where it's like. <sighs> snowing yeah. yeah you're just like why am i out here yeah. um even now when it's like all my races are cancelled it's like why what are we doing um mm. or like waking up at 4 a.m or doing a finish or the opposite doing a ride and finishing that at 9 30 at night or something and you're just like why am i doing this but i think i always remind myself because there's always like if i say i've got my whiteboard of like things i need to do for the day and you'll look at that day and you're like that is an impossible day there is so much on mm. and then to get to the end of that and that like having completed it like yeah. that is such a empowering and rewarding yeah. feeling and like when things are hard in that day you just think like how good is that going to feel when i actually complete it and like no matter like at the end of the day no matter how hard a day is like you always end up in bed mm. and it's always yeah. like it's always going to end so it's always going to end the same way and so, it will finish. <laughs> yeah, almost breaking down those training weeks into days and those months into weeks. And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, breaking it down and just getting through each day by day, which I think a lot of athletes do talk about. Yeah. Each session by session. Yeah, and I think I think just from a like a mental perspective it's good because yeah. it's such a such a long journey. Mm. <laughs> and like you could be training for one event for like right now, I could be training for an event for three months. So um yeah, if I'm looking at not being able to compete for three months, I want to be able to just focus on each session and like each interval and like really break it down and make yeah. sure it's getting done right, really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and you mentioned the mental side of things. I've, I've, I don't know if you found it that through these peak physical achievements or, you know, whatever it is that anyone's doing, training, physical exercise, um, running, whatever, CrossFit, whatever – drives you physically i think there's a correlation with the mental strength and side of things for your ability to adapt and go through shit times essentially yeah like we see now (laughs) somewhat um you know the people that we're relying on are who the most healthiest individuals and smartest or whatever and fit people you know they're ones we're turning to and talking to immunity and health about how much more important it is but i think anyways that 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 mental strength i think there's a correlation there physically mentally like there has to be a a strong one that makes you better in the long run yeah and i think um like those those tough mental times like they're they're um as much as they suck and they do really suck (laughs) it's like they are chances to grow and i think that's what sort of builds resilience and yeah, there's definitely a correlation when things are going well, you're riding well or you're physically going well and you're mentally like they they work together. 
um, as opposed to like you're not going to do well in a bike race, for instance, or anything if they're not both working alongside each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, and I think. You know, that story of, you know, in footy terms or cycling terms, doing that one more interval, that, that, you know, that's physical. Mm, it's not yep. mental. Like, I think that gets blurred yep. a bit. You know, if it's not, that's, you know, people say, if you do one more rep, you're physic- you're mentally stronger. No, it's physical. You're not actually mentally stronger. Yeah. Yep. You know, like, I know if you've done the same thing as well with, you know, you've all these training sessions and you come up to a Melbourne and Warney race, which is one of the most grueling things in the nation, you've technically been there. 10 times you know yeah. through training yeah you know and it's a, and it's a weird thing isn't it like that whole like you sort of get really involved in that or like when you're out training yeah. and you just be like you're in that bike race and I, like the amount of times that i've like stopped my training session like finished the training session i was like oh that was a training ride like i forgot that i was actually not <laughs> racing you know like yeah. Yeah. i've just gone off a five-hour ride i've yeah. rode 200 k's <laughs> like I, I did not need a victory salute at the end of that training ride but i did <laughs> <laughs> like the other day that story you told me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which one was that oh we won't name that oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah um now another thing that's misconceived i think in cycling a lot is the nutrition as you ride yeah um, you know, running, we have gels and, you know, you can get, you know, running's not, you know, what a, what's a stage of Tour de France? Eight or nine hours? Oh, yeah. Six to eight. I'd six say. to eight. Yeah. Like, you're not running for that long, really, essentially. Yeah. And not in Tour de France when you do it for two weeks straight or something, whatever Three, it is. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Um, how important is that to you all around? Oh, yeah. The nutrition side is... Oh, like I've I've learnt this the hard way. I'll be honest. Yeah, really? like, but yeah. nutrition is far more important than the actual training. And yeah, like if you don't get it if you don't get it right, you're gonna come unstuck very quickly. Um, in a race like the Melbourne's Warnable, I've definitely I've done seven of them. And Jesus. from when was your first? Uh in 2013, mm. so first year out of high school. Yeah. And um, how has your tr- nutrition changed since during that yeah. time? Oh, massively. So the first year I went to uni, moved out of home, I was just like, I mean, it was sort of two factors. I was like really driven to get like real light for yeah. um, cycling performance. And then the other factor was that I was on um, youth allowance and I was, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Shout out to Centrelink. Yeah, cheers, Centrelink. Funded (laughs) three years of my life. (laughs) Um, After after paying rent, I think I had like fifty bucks a week to live off. So I was just like, so you're you're fifty bucks a week. You're getting up. You leave. You're going to Melbourne at twelve p.m. (laughs) Oh, I had a job in that last year, so it's not too bad. Shit, yeah, Um, but. Yeah, the nutrition is just so yeah. Important. So I didn't really have access to a heap of food um, mm-hmm. or a heap of quality nutrition, and I think I, I think I was like six kilos lighter than what I am now. And I'm not a big guy now, so I, that year I didn't finish a single bike race. Like I was just a shell of a cyclist. Um, and then, and I think I was really lucky that my coach Julian at the time mm-hmm. had recognised that, and his uh, better half. Uh, Miranda was able, who was studying nutrition at the time, and really oh. was that was a massive game changer. And I was grateful that they put so much time into that for me. Um, and yeah, it was huge. It was honestly like I think now I'm like tenfold the cyclist I was then, and it's all like a big thanks to them, really. Like, mm. and so many other people, but that was like a catalyst of mm. getting to where I am now. Yeah. I, I could perceive that 
you know, your training's probably stayed roughly the same. You know, I know as years go on, they change and ta- and all those things change, but the diet's probably the main one that's different yeah. from what you're saying. Yeah, well, it's evolved probably to just what it should be. Um, and yeah. it's so, like, it's so, um, it's hard because there's such a culture mm. around being yeah. lean and light for Especially cycling. Especially in cycling, yeah. Yeah, cycling. Like, you look at, like, you only have to watch the Tour de France and you're seeing these guys who just look like twigs and they're just, like, climbing up these mountains at 30k an hour just flying you're like how are they doing that and um everyone wants to look like that in cycling for some reason really yeah um so everyone's like pushing the pushing the limits but um you get you i think people and they sort of eat less than what a normal person who doesn't exercise does whereas we should be eating like twice the amount Mm. so that's what where that's where i'm at now i'm eating like i think i moved in with my team manager, Nick Lacandro, um, at the start of last year, we were housemates for about half a year and he was like gobsmacked with the amount of food I was eating, just <laughs> eating the house down. Um, and yeah, it's just a huge, important part and it's just a game changer. So so what are some of your staples now um, in your diet, I guess? Um, it's nothing special. Like, yeah. I'm, like I don't really buy into these like yeah. specialist diets. I just like to keep it simple and it's just like fuel for the... The, the training so you know i would probably just eat the exact same thing as a normal household but probably just twice the really yeah because <laughs> yeah. you have to you have to fuel yourself like. yeah yeah exactly um like certainly like on a day like today when well, i've just got like an hour easy ride like i'm not eating through the roof but i'm still eating a decent amount um and then those six mm. hour rides you know you're carb loading for those and then you're eating like 90 grams on the bike maybe or something like that yeah got efforts so um yeah it's it's challenging but yeah it's, mm. that's just a big part of it huge part of it yeah so what do you eat on the bike yeah what would be some typical things i guess because you have to be careful i guess of how you digest things and i guess trial and error whilst you're on the bike and what can be taken in yeah exactly so it's uh yeah it's it's a tough one you've got to definitely trial and error with different not just different uh, products but different brands of that product so gels and that sort of thing um and like in racing i'm still i'm pretty standard so like your electrolyte mix in the bottles and your yeah. gels just because of how easy they are to to take in mm. like you if you're riding in a bunch going fast it's just hard to unwrap like yeah you know but you, like you might have your solids like we do like these rice cake things so it's almost like a sushi rice yeah and like maybe chalk chips or something and just like just punch those yeah just stuff like that um out training you might just have like that sort of stuff or like banana bread and that sort of thing like mm. real high gi pastries like pastries bit of muff you know? bakehouse like, yeah. shout out yeah <laughs> jump into the bakehouse and, you know, <laughs> yeah get some pastries <laughs> <laughs> you know there is a stereotype for the for cyclists isn't there yeah but it's real yeah, <laughs> that, and that is the honest thing when i got into it with brads that is it is so real and it's so hard not to succumb to that oh like it was like when i was riding in portland like there wasn't many people i was riding with back in the day and then i moved to ballarat and um there's a really good crew of cyclists there and um when i was just jumping in i think my first group ride we um finished up and like it's just an expectation that you finish it like fika or something at the coffee shop like if you like it would be frowned upon to keep riding like, <laughs> what's the most coffees you've had in a day oh yeah it's a lot like I, my heart like what was it you saw uh, eight i think 
They're always wired. There's always caffeine in the blood, mate. <laughs> it's not EPO. It's it's, it's caffeine, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's where it's at these days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. And um, you've actually got a mate who's got a bit of a page on Instagram, uh, don't you? Oh, a mate, uh, as in the barista. Oh, for, the, the the muffin man. Oh, the what is it? Muffs of uh, muffs of the gram, or was it muff munches? Muff, yeah, muff munches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just rating the best muffins, isn't it? Yeah, cycles. exactly. I mean, Fika, hard to beat. Uh, White <laughs> chalk and berry is uh, that, that is a staple in the Ballarat cyclist diet. What about in Portland? What's your favourite coffee and carbohydrate dense treat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't go past Barloo. Whether it's a, a flat white or a, a long black for shout, Barlu. Shout out to Barlu. Yeah. Give me sponsor the show. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind. Even in coffees, would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so yeah, Barlu, long black or ice black, you normally get that. Uh, yeah, or, or a flat white. Yep. Um, if I'm feeling like a bit of milk. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, well, what? yeah I mean, their muffins change on a daily basis. So um, they're all good. Like, they're, they're, not, they're never bad. Ooh. But, um, they had like this apple and custard one a few a few weeks back that was a real winner. Yeah, it was it was a game changer. Never had anything like it. It was right up there with Fika. It was Fika uh, spec. It was Jeez. right up there. Yeah. We'll have to get one. Yeah, if apple and custard, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh, gee, and uh, yeah, these stereotypes, and you know, Michael's probably sitting there thinking well, it, it actually thinking. is real. Like once I pulled those cleats on, I could. I could feel the the sugar and the butter in oh. my mouth, and it's bizarre, isn't it? Like, there's and it's also just like the whole fashion thing behind cycling. Oh there's yeah, this I want massive, to touch on yeah, yeah. There's this whole like massive thing about like how to look good on the bike, but at the end of the day, <laughs> we're all in lycra. Like, yeah, it doesn't like we all look stupid. <laughs> that is a great point. Well, at least yeah. you've got to look good, stupid. Yeah, I exactly. You got to do it right. <laughs> yeah. Who who was your biggest, I guess, cycling uh, influence? I know your dad would be, but both. Also, as an athlete as well, so yeah, um, it's changed like so much over the years. Like I've, I've been cycling for thirteen years, so um, I suppose after seeing my old man win, it would be watching the Tour de France, like SBS highlights, which is sort of a bit controversial. But watching the big Texan Lance Armstrong do his <laughs> yeah. thing, that was like I, I loved him back in the day. Um, sort of still do, but on yeah. the, the down low. Um, <laughs> But then you got like Cadell Evans winning his the Australia's first TDF, um, huge like and World Championships when he was the first Aussie to win worlds like massive. That yeah. was massive for me. Um, and then like through the years, like Heinrich Hauser winning a stage of the Tour de France was like I really like I sat up and watched that and that was really big for me because he had done it a, like he had done a really hard journey. He went from Australia and moved to Germany at fourteen to chase it and. Um, yeah, in that moment, it was sort of all worth it for him. I felt like you, you could see the emotion and that sort of mm. thing. And it was like a real like goosebump moment to watch that. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, these days, I sort of, I think I've sort of stepped away from the world tour a bit in terms of influences. It's sort of, for me, it's so much about my team um, and getting around. The, and like we've got such an amazing culture there and such a good group of guys that you sort mm. of just... You want to be a part of it and you like you want to do it for the boys and you want to sort of like get ready for those races and sort of like it's what you look forward to is those 
those uh, national road series events with the team. Like that's that's probably why I do it more than anything these days. Yeah, mm. and that's a, a thing that's people probably don't understand with cycling is that it actually is quite a team orientated event and mean sport. Yeah, it's and it's like it's very um, it's it's weird because yeah you watch. You watch a bike race on TV and it's still, it is a team event, but it's still only one guy on the podium at the end of the day. So it's very, very selfless yeah. in some ways that you've, you've got like in the National Road Series, you'll have seven guys on a team and they're all working for maybe one or two key riders to get the dub for you. Um, mm. And yeah, like I suppose Melbourne Warrnambool is just a perfect example of that. Like we had guys... Um, like their their sole role in that race was to go back to the team car and get drink bottles for the rest of the guys. Like, and you would never see that. Not in, like we're in a national road series race that's barely televised, and yeah. you've got guys who are training like twenty twenty five hours a week just to get working, the working a job, and they're willing to just go back for you and get mm. bottles. Like yeah. so selfless, yeah. and that's that's exactly why I love the team. Like the culture there, like. Mm. It wasn't just the fact that they did it. It was the fact that they wanted to do it yeah. and they thrived in that role during that race. Mm. Like I just, I love being a part of that. It's massive yeah. for me. Yeah. And that's a big thing people don't understand in cycling is that, you know, you know, we talk about riding in the groups and, you know, yeah. taking the win for someone and, yeah. you know, yeah. it is a very selfless sport. At the end of the day, you see one bloke stand up there, but, you know, could tell you yeah. Chris Froome or Cadell or no one could have done that without their... Yeah, um, exactly. teammates. Yep, and it's like after watching, after being a part of that race this year, because we've got we've pretty much got like five or six new guys on the team, so it's pretty much a new team. So to go into that race a month into being on a new squad, and, were, and that's how it was. It's just like it wasn't. It's just not a job to do those things. It's actually a want to do it, and. Oh yeah, that's like that's exactly how we're going to build success with mm. our team. Like it's just mm. so big for us that. Yeah, yeah, and sponsors are a very important thing. Yeah, in cycling. Yeah, and it's a challenging thing to get because, um, especially in the national road series, like there's you know, like not much TV. Yeah, you're you neither know. here nor there. Like, and yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it's that sacrifice thing. You know, you got to yeah. give up a little bit and get some support and pay it back and to deal with all that pressure from someone backing you when you're not quite there. Like, you yeah. know, you're trying to thrive. It's hard. Yeah, and I think I think where we, um, what we do well at Subaru Giant is that we we realize that like, yeah, we're not going to give a huge amount of advertising for a sponsor. So what else can we do? We're, we um, put a bit more into community. So we've got, um, in particular, we've got two uh, charities that we run alongside. So we've got what? white bike foundation so that's like road safety um and we really drive that message mm. and then we've got uh the dementia project which is our team manager nick lacandro's new charity yeah. um and you've done a bit of work with them haven't you um like through the through your team haven't so you? we went to Aries house um on team camp so that's sort of like a dementia relief center and that sort of thing um and Nick Lacandro in particular has been like amazing with his uh, ride to remembers. He does one a year, um, and like just the amount he's raised, I wouldn't, I can't, I wouldn't even be able to know. It'd be it's like above fifty k for dementia. So, um, yeah, so some, like that's also a big part of our team is driving that community. Yeah. 
um, spirit, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And being more than just cyclists. Yeah. 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 Um, and then also you just come away from a team camp and you had a special guest speaker there. Actually. Yeah. So, team camp was like, it's, it wasn't just your standard run of the mill, like cycling team camp where you just get the boys out and ride K's and K's mm. and K's. Where Everyone you, just thinks it's grueling and you got to slug it out. Yeah. yeah, it was quite the opposite. The rides were quite chilled and we decided to put more time into each other and building relationships. Um, and yeah, one of the programs was a team culture seminar, I suppose you'd call it, um, run by Sam Mitchell of Hawthorne, like the mm. Hawthorne assistant coach, yeah. um, previous captain, I yeah. believe. Um, yeah, and just massive like it was just like a huge thing for the team to take in like some really good messages um and like the team just took it on they loved it and and, like it's going to be so beneficial for us and like especially considering the guys just took it on and really listened i suppose yeah yeah so what's a standard day look for you deals i guess with training um you know, just to put even in more in scope and highlight a little bit more how much you slug away. Yeah. Well, what, what's your standard day look for you? Yeah, I've got a bit of variety here. Like I can really <laughs> just like make it look easier. Yeah. <laughs> All those hard, hard yeah. days, everyone. Well, what's a hard day look like? I really promote myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, a training ride varies from, you know, your easy hour spin to... Um, like a six-hour ride is probably the top I'll do, but um, yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> six hours on a bike. Yeah, I mean that's why I crashed at the end of a six-hour ride didn't I, on Sunday. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just all about time management for me. That's key. So you might like uh, most of my working days are, you know, either a nine to three or a nine to five. So you're either squeezing a three-hour ride in before or after that, really. Um, and yeah, you sort of make the most of those weekends or sometimes I work the weekend. So you might have a lighter day at work or something. You might mm. knock a fiver in or something. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably easy to explain on a weekly thing. Yeah, um, you can probably, do that if you want. Yeah, yeah. so it's probably like, from a training perspective, probably doing like a 20-hour week um, and then absolute max, you might put, do a couple of 25s. Like might do them maybe... <sighs> once a month once every yeah. six weeks you do a big like, they're big weeks of 25 25 hours so yeah that's how many k's mate for well people. that incorporates two to three gym sessions as well yeah. and they're an hour each and then i suppose you know you're looking at that 400 to 700 k's in a week um what's that that's like riding from here to what's 600 k's what adelaide yeah yeah in a yeah. week yeah <laughs> yeah um and then uh, i suppose on top of that you've might like work i work casual but so it's a bit sporadic that's why it's a bit hard to time manage but sometimes you've got like a 20 hour week sometimes i think i've had like a 50 hour week because it's just like through school holidays it goes crazy so it's just all about managing it yeah Jeez. okay for the listeners that everyone go buy a bike <laughs> ride from here to adelaide in a week work a 40 hour week <laughs> Sleep enough, eat well, and sit and get back to me the other week. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible, mate. Yeah. Oh, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and every and you've been doing that for what seven years? No, like uh, seven at, in the uh, at, least, at least level eight. Yeah, eight in the NRS. Um, but I certainly 
have evolved since mm. then. So those first years, just coming out of school, working a job at Subway a couple times a week and just training sort of, yeah, that sort yeah. of doing that for two years and then the first few years of uni and mm. then it got pretty full on. So yeah. There's something about endurance sports where it's like, oh, this really resonated with me um, that, you know, if you, the one, oh, maybe a di- bit different in cycling, but it's, I think the theme stays true is that the one who's standing on that, if you want to know who deserves to win, it's the one who's standing on that podium because it's always going to be the person who's done the most or right work. The hardest, smartest work. I think smart's got to be in there. Yeah, smart is massively in there. Yeah. Like there is, like the end of the day in the National Road Series, everyone's training pretty much the same, yeah. the same amount of hours and all that. So it comes down to the guys who are tactically sound. Um, yeah. What I found though in, in like racing in Belgium last year is that it's sort of, it is very tactical, but the strong guys will always come to the front because yeah. it's just so much. It's so grueling. So the ones who got the most power or most yeah, fitness, yeah, just whoever's got the horsepower, the horses, they'll just they'll find the front um, at the end of the day because it's just like if it's just like a sprint from the start to finish. Yep. Whereas, um, yeah, the National Road Series a little bit more team orientated, a little bit more tactical. Um, and that's when you get you guys like like Nick White and that who can just pretty much win any bike race because he's just extremely strong but very tactically sound yeah 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 it seems like you really love that team what aspect yeah of it of it all and not that other side of it yeah i actually so it was a bit of a realization for me um at the end of last year i was really like i really wanted to do tour of tasmania and i did um my team didn't go so i just did it by myself um and i loved it and i that great bike race but there was certainly a big part missing for me just doing it by myself, whether it was being in the bunch working towards a goal with six other guys or even just like going back to the ACOM and just talking a bit of banter and, you know, talking race brief and that. Like you don't get that. Like that's that's a big part of why I cycle, I think. Um, yeah, and riding solo, it's pretty pretty challenging mentally, I think. If you don't have a good day on the bike, you've got to figure out yourself yeah. how to turn it around and i think tassie and belgium for me were like like fantastic experience and i really needed that um but it's all on you and there's no like there's no one there to say like you can turn this around you've got yeah. to figure out how to turn it around yeah. yeah yeah and cycling and as you're saying then cycling has taken you some pretty amazing places yeah so you've, if for the listeners you've been you, uh, Europe and US a few times? Yeah, so I've been to America twice. One was just a cycling holiday. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, last year I went to Belgium for five weeks and raced. Yeah. Um, and then flew across to uh, Milwaukee um, and did the Tour of America's Dairylands, which was just like, yeah, such a great experience. Both completely different. Um, but yeah, like I really want to get over and do it again for sure yeah and obviously that's been put on hold but i think you'll get there yeah (laughs) yeah hopefully yeah yeah and yeah there'll be some sort of yeah just some freedom and just the different i guess environments and things like that that you're riding through i don't know do you get the time or the a moment to soak it in like shit i'm riding in milwaukee in this you know beautiful part of the world or yeah i think you've been a boulder have you uh, oh no big bear big bear yeah yeah, so I suppose like just to sort of overview, I think Belgium, 
um, it's uh, it's a really simple life. Like you you ride to and from the races, so you like they're big days, but you really get to soak in a lot of Belgium just from riding to the races and then coming back. And during the race, you don't see much, but mm. like those rides to and from. Um, racing in America, it's you're not really taking in the scenery, but you're taking in the atmosphere because you're jumping in to like a night race. So it's like, yeah, all under lights, big crowds, massive parties, big like commentary. <laughs> of course. Know, like, yeah, it's, it's America. <laughs> um, you feel like a superstar. Yeah, you do. You get, you finish, like you finish the bike race and people are just cheering you know, and like, if they like, if they hear your name over the commentary, they'll just be like yelling out your name and stuff, and like they'll hand you beers at the end of the race and, uh, that, and like, yeah, it's like unreal. Um, and then yeah, Big Bear, like, well, probably the most beautiful place I've been in the in the whole world. It's just like mm. mountains, like we were two and a half thousand meters above sea level. So yeah, yeah. Like, the views once you climb those big bergs are just stunning yeah. yeah yeah and that's like a hot spot for training for a lot of athletes all over the world no matter what level they're at yeah so we went to a gym there um and they like just talking to some of the people you get all sorts of athletes whether it's your endurance athletes or even like mm. your nfl and yeah. nfl players and boxers yeah and, ufc a lot of MMA. yeah and it's just like a big it. hub for people to go and do some altitude training yeah yeah. yeah. Did that? Did you find some benefits out of altitude training, or and have you found any other forms, I guess, of training protocols that have helped your performance? Yeah. So, um, the altitude training was an interesting one. I think I sort of feel like I wasn't up there for long enough. Like the science yep. says, two weeks is long enough, but I just sort of felt like I couldn't train hard enough while I was up there, and I was only just starting to get to the point where I could do harder sessions and be up in altitude. Um, so. It didn't quite work for me. Um, having another crack at it right now, doing an eight-week block in an altitude tent, so yeah. sleeping in that and training at sea level, so you still get to train properly, but also getting that sort of altitude effect overnight. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm just a big driver in doing the basic stuff right. Yeah. And just like everyone hunts these like marginal gains, but it's like, let's look at these maximal gains. Like let's look at the sleep, the nutrition and the training and do those right really well and first. And the recovery, yeah. And the recovery. And if you can do those right first, you're going to be far better off than looking at those little things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like you can go out and, you know, get the best supplements for recovery or you can go out and, you know, do all these recovery protocols like, you know, yeah. in a pod. Um, yeah. Or get in the tent, but yeah. if you're not sleeping eight or nine or ten hours a night, like, yeah. what's the fucking point? Yeah, well, they're all, yeah, exactly. Like, they all work. All those things work, work well, but it's just counterproductive if you're not doing those yeah. things right. And, and I think you'd see that at your level because they're not quite there. They're trying to think that they're pro. Yeah. Well, like, you are at a bloody elite level, but yeah. if they want to get to that next level, they're probably thinking, I've got to do this and this, but I'm sleeping six hours a night. I'm shitting, I'm eating shit foods. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it comes back to that culture as well of like, um, there's a like of nutrition and stuff and trying to overdo that lightness thing. Yeah, mm. really. If you can just put that aside and start looking at the the literature, I suppose, and yeah. like what it, you know what a nutritionist would say. To you, mm. Yeah, you'd be far better off. And just like same with sleep and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah, and sleep's essential for recovery. Oh, it's the biggest recovery tool that everyone's overlooking <laughs> like <laughs> even just like 
like you look at the hormone level and stuff of mm. like the increasing growth hormone over sleep and that sort of thing like yeah people are taking growth hormones like just have a good night's sleep and you get the same <laughs> effect almost you know yeah. speaking of you know you know and this is a it's it's a t- bit of a tarnished sport yeah. cycling yeah um actually it's not a bit i'll be honest <laughs> yeah, it's massively. Um, have you i guess witnessed or heard of anyone that you know like without naming names you know yeah. utilizing that and what do you think obviously about you know the utilizing those protocols um yeah it's pretty dodgy um i think I haven't been exposed to it. I think um, that culture is a little bit behind us, hopefully. Um, or maybe it's just at World Tour level more so than my level. Um, I think the thing that really bugs me is um, at my level, it's the people who dance the fine line. So you're looking at your your heavy painkillers and that kind of thing that are yeah. legal, but they're legal for a reason that's not what they're using it for. Is IV legal? For you guys? Nah, we're not allowed to inject at all. So it's like yeah, just okay. no needle policy. Yeah. Um, but you take like you're looking at like your medical grade um, like painkillers. I suppose people call them like their finishing bottles. So you got like a drink bottle full of painkillers and caffeine. <laughs> but I think that's sort of starting to die down as well now that a few more rules have been put into place from WADA. Mm. So it's yeah. That's just how it is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and it's not like I, I'm talking about it now, but it's actually like I'm. It's a needle in a haystack kind of thing. It's actually not a massive issue. It's mm. like one, two riders that I won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in your level, yeah, or that have been. They that have probably been. aren't now. So yeah, because it's crazy when they get to that. I can only imagine that when that kind of money and fame and notoriety is on the line. Like I'm not saying that. I could understand why yeah. they did it. But, you know, the year that Lance won, it was at 18 or 16 out of the top 20 that got done or... Yeah, like it's probably far deeper than that. Even. Yeah, like but it's just... Like, like, and it's sort of... It's 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 a real weird one. Like it's one of those ones where you... Like I suppose like that maybe you look at Lance and like, what's he going back to if he doesn't do that? So it is... There's a whole heap of things to it and it's still bad, but it's just a... Just a, it was just a really, really horrible time, time to be a cyclist. And it's been cleaned up now, you think? I think, like, I'm just not in that world tour circle to know. So, I can yeah. only speculate. Um, but I like to think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the deal's out. What's, um, what's your plan? Well, I guess, you know, things have changed um, due to coronavirus. But I think what's your future ambitions and plans? Because you're still pretty young for the sport, I guess. Like, endurance yeah. sports, you know, mid-early like, mid 30s, I guess. But yeah. so what's your plans of, and ambitions for 2020? Yeah. So, it's sort of... Um, it is a bit of go time for me, though. Like, I am 26. So, it's time to really knuckle down if I want to do this right. Um so yeah, initially, yeah, three month stint in Belgium was the go for May, June, July, um, and then really, really have a good crack at the back end of the National Road Series. Um, so moving forward, I suppose we're probably looking at still having a good crack at the back end of the National Road Series because they'll still be on, fingers crossed. Yep. Um, and yeah, it'll just be pushing, pushing onto nationals in January. Um, and just like Melbourne to Warrnambool in the following February and just, you know, doing the races that I've got access to and doing them as best as I can. That's mm. all anyone at the moment can do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, hopefully an overseas stint in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. 
because everyone forgets. You know, I mean, the you know a lot of I guess the audience wouldn't really know that cycling season is pretty much doesn't really stop, does no. it? Yeah. So you've pretty much you've pretty much just got to pick a race or a couple of races that you just not going to be fit for or not going to do yeah the ones that aren't as important to you or as important for you to be there for the team and then you take a week off the bike yeah. or two weeks off the bike just to otherwise you just burn out yeah um, like there's a lot of hours on the bike and yeah. big commitments so how do you avoid burnout um Mate. yeah i think i was pretty close to that after the warning um it was like just a long, like I'd had, I'd been training since the warning prior to that. So I had 52 week of, tra- 52 weeks of training. It was, it was a long, it was just a long year, like a lot of travel, a lot of racing. And then, yeah, took that week off um, after the Melbourne to Warnable, drank a lot of beer, ate a lot of crap food <laughs> <laughs> and just like mentally got right just by, the, even just by doing stuff like that and just like catching up with family. Cause it's, I think like dialing back to sacrifice is probably at this age the only thing that's really hard is like you do lose that time with your family and especially now that i'm back in portland yeah like you think oh, i get to see my family all the time but when you're working and then instead of going at home and hanging out with family you go out for a bike ride instead mm. so um yeah that mm. was really important for me over that week to yeah see everyone I could only imagine that your family's quite supportive. I mean, I know your brother Jim, he, he loves yeah. he loves you and he loves endurance sports like you. So and I met your dad on the weekend. You know? Yeah. Yep. So massively supportive, like extremely grateful to have a brother like Jim. Mm. Um it's so good, like throughout the years living with him, obviously as a kid and that, to just have that person who's equally as competitive as you. Yeah. Um, and just like probably just build a relationship he's probably my best mate as well like just so lucky to have him um and then yeah obviously dad like get that that uh to be able to share like the passion together of cycling and that kind of thing it's just been so good and yeah mum's just mum's mum she's like loving the regardless (laughs) like just so awesome to you know be able to welcome me back into her house after coming back from overseas at 26 and just like no questions no worries, just like lets me back in. So Yeah, I think at our age, we definitely forget how much your parents do yeah. before. And you look back at over the years and like now that I'm working a bit more and I look forward to those weekends and I just like think, man, like my parents were working a full-time job and then they would spend their weekends taking me to bike races. Mm. And you're just like, oh, you, like yes. all I do is look forward to the weekend. And all they were doing was like drive me to, around for that and like spending their money on accommodation and... Like the things that you wouldn't even consider as a kid, but like that's such a huge sacrifice, like mm. commitment and sacrifice for them. Like yeah. just missing out on their own time for themselves. Yeah. Just to put back into me. So yeah. yeah. Like be forever grateful for that. 100%. Yeah. yeah. No, no doubt at all. Yeah. yeah. Dilza. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, my man. Nah, it's been a pleasure, mate. Stay happy and healthy and safe, my yeah. man. Yeah. You too, mate. Thanks for giving up your time. We appreciate it. Oh, I loved it. It's good. You. <laughs> <laughs> How about that for an episode, guys? I hope you all really enjoyed that one. Quick shout out to my man, Michael Peters, the man behind the camera. And also big, big love to 3RPC for allowing us to utilize the studio space. Without you guys, none of this would be possible. So big thank you. Please make sure you all follow at a chat with Pat on Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast via Spotify and iTunes. And please don't be afraid to leave a review. We are open to all feedback to make this as good as possible for all our listeners. Stay safe and all my love, guys. You!